Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 29 of season 1, Reading with Grace, where we will continue reading The Unwanted's Island of Fire. Today we will be picking up from chapter 24, but first a recap of chapters 19 through 23. Simber burst from the ocean and found Alex, who was so very happy to find Simber was still alive. But after hugs and hellos, Simber noticed something was shaking Artme. In a rash decision, Aaron sent his own father to the ancient sector, but after consideration, he sent Eva to fetch him out of it. Aaron and Alex's mother is pregnant again. In Artemis, everyone in the Grey Shack in the world turned is gone, but Alex remembers the shack moves to the Museum of Large in Mr. Today's secret hallway when not in use. When he arrives, he finds everyone screaming and running because the giant old tater has come back to life and is causing havoc. Alex manages to get everyone out to safety and put Old Tater to sleep again with the help of Simber. Soon after, Gunnar Haluki was found tied up near the tube and told Alex Claire was alive and being held captive. Alex immediately went to the action to take Henry Haluki with him to Quill to save Miss Morning. That's the end of the summary. Enjoy the episode! 24. Nasty Places Alex met Henry at the tube in the kitchenette. Henry's lashes were still wet from crying when he couldn't go with his father, but the tears had stopped and his eyes held an eager look now. Here, Alex said, handing him some components. Do you know how to use all these? Henry looked over them carefully. Yes, he said. He sounded more sure of himself than Alex felt. Do you know what room of your house the tube is in? It's in my father's office, Henry said, into the hall. Alex nodded, and the two strategized. While they had their plan together, they stepped into the tube. Alice gave Megan a reassuring smile that didn't come from any sort of confidence within himself, but she looked relieved to see it. Alex regarded the tube's strange numbers, only blackboard, and hesitated. He glanced at Simber. How will we know which button to press to get back here? he asked. I don't know for sure, Simber said. Marcus never spoke of that one. But I think that tube in Haluki's office only comes here to art me. So there should only be one option. Let's hope so, Alex muttered. He looked down at Henry. Ready? Henry nodded. They each gripped components in their hands. Here we go, Alex said. He pushed the button with his elbow and the two boys disappeared. In a blink, they were cast into darkness that didn't lighten again. Where are we? Alex whispered after a time. Inside a closet. The door's closed. Oh, Alex reached outside the tube and felt the door, moving his hand across it to get his bearings, trying to find a handle, but there was none. A line of light ran across the bottom and in the center of the closet, indicating there was a double door. Which direction is the hallway, he whispered. Straight ahead, about ten or twelve feet. Okay, Alex took a deep breath. Components ready? Yeah. Alex pushed on the door. It didn't budge. He pushed again with both hands this time, and then, with his shoulder hard, still nothing, he frowned in the dark. It stuck. He ran his hands up and pricked his finger on a nail, but he didn't make a sound. He found several more nail points atop the edge. He almost told Henry that it was nailed shut, but then he thought about it and decided Henry didn't need to know that right now. We're going to make some noises. No voices, though, okay? Just pounding. We want him to think it's your dad. On the count of four. Okay. Owls counted off, and they both began pounding on the door, though not too hard since Haluku was weak. Nothing happened. Alex hoped the captors hadn't discovered that Haluki was gone already. Maybe that was why the door was nailed shut. Again, Alex whispered, and they pounded once more. This time they were rewarded with footsteps. Knock it off, said a woman. She sounded grumpy. Alex started knocking again, too afraid to cue Henry this time. 
All right, the woman muttered. Liam, bring the cobra. We'll do Lukey's break now. He's noisy. Her words trailed off, her voice weary. A few minutes later, Alex and Henry could hear the crack and squeaks of nails being pulled through wood. Alex squeezed Henry's shoulder and bent down to whisper in his ear when the noise continued. You take the right side. I've got the left. Spells ready? Henry nodded. When the door swung open, the two boys jumped out, yelling, Attack left! and Attack right! to their origami dragons. And while they squinted to get their pupils used to the new bright light, the fire-breathing dragons nearly scared the two guards to death. It was long enough to keep them distracted while Alex and Henry focused and aimed highlighters at the both. Both found their mark blinding the shrieking guards. Before the Quillians understood what was happening, Alex and Henry grabbed scatter clips and fired them, sticking the guards to the walls by their clothing and pelted the two with the clay bits, shackling them. Finally, Alex uttered a silent soliloquy and their work was done. Alex inspected their handiwork as the two struggled. Then Alex nodded at Henry. Lead the way, he said. Be ready to attack. Henry set off trying very hard not to chatter on about the house or stop to show Alex the bedroom that had been his when he lived there, though he was tempted. He peered around the corner into the kitchen. Seeing no one, he continued to the pantry. Alex at his heels. Guard me, Alex said. Henry stood ready with his components, turning this way and that at the slightest imagined noise. Alex reached out for the pantry door and turned the knob. Twenty-five, The First Rescue Whenever Claire Morning heard the voices of Liam and Bethesda in conversation, it reminded her that she was still alive and that maybe someday, if she could just get her strength back, she'd be able to break out of here. She didn't blame anyone for not coming to find her. How could they possibly know where she was? And she could only imagine what the Artemians were dealing with, if any of them were still alive. For all she knew, Aaron could have killed them all. The voices Claire was hearing now seemed different. There was some sort of ruckus going on, she could tell, and she hoped something horrible hadn't happened to Gunnar. But she could barely lift her head to rouse herself completely. Whatever was happening, it would happen without her. Or so she thought, until the pantry door swung open, blinding her with light. She turned her face toward the towering shadow, but she couldn't focus, and the gag in her mouth, she couldn't speak. The figure gasped. "'Miss Morning?' he said, which puzzled her. Liam had always called her Claire. Soon her gag was off her numb wrists and her ankles untied, and the figure lifted her to her feet. "'Can you stand?' he whispered. Claire nodded, but her legs buckled. "'It's okay. I've got you,' the figure said, and he hoisted her off the ground over his shoulder. Claire opened her eyes a slit, letting the painful light in. "'It's Alex,' the figure said, "'and Henry Haluki. We came to take you home.' Relief flooded through Claire's weak body, and she closed her eyes again as Alex directed Henry to lead the way. "'Give the guards another dose from the highlighters and silent spells. All three of us can't fit inside the tube at once, so you go first to let Simber know you're coming.' Alex said to Henry, who did exactly as he was told. When Henry was gone, Alex turned to the shackled, blind Liam and Bethesda and said in a measured voice, I'm sure someone will come along eventually for you, but even if they don't, you won't suffer any worse than what you've put these people through. He maneuvered his way to the tube, careful not to bump Claire's head against the glass as he squeezed into the space with her, and gave the guards one last hard look. In the voice of a man, he spoke with a measured tone. If you ever dare show your faces in Artemis, I will not be so kind to allow you to let it leave alive. With that, he pressed the only button on the blackboard, and in the blink of an eye, Alex, still carrying Miss Morning, stepped out of the tube into Mr. Today's kitchenette. He moved swiftly to the hallway where scores of Artemians parted to allow them to pass. They're expecting you, Simber said. You take her. I'll stay here until we've got sorted out this mess. Alex looked at him in surprise, but then nodded. He hurried down the hall, stopping in the Museum of Large. Megan, he called out, and she came to his side. He adjusted the limp body of Miss Morning and whispered the words that reopened the door. He turned back to Megan. 
See if you can find a spell in the museum library that would open this hallway for everyone. Megan nodded, going inside as Alex and Miss Morning disappeared through the wall that for now held the rest of them prisoner. Alex glided down the stairs, surprised that his strength hadn't given out yet. But Miss Morning was not very heavy, and truth be told, Alex had probably bulked up just a bit in the past several weeks from the constant hard labor. Or maybe it was simply adrenaline. So many thoughts swirled through his mind as he rushed into the hospital wing and set Miss Morning down in the bed that was prepared and waiting for her. The nurses swarmed around their beloved instructor, pushing Alex back. He moved willingly to the doorway to stay out of their way as they worked, and with the chance to breathe, Alex finally let his mind go. He leaned his head against the wall and watched, unseeing, the actions before him as his brain sorted out every option he could think of to free the unwanted from the secret hallway. Twenty-six. The Second Rescue as he stood watching the hospital workers and thinking about the trapped people, Alex realized the very last thing he wanted to do was shut Artemay down again. Even if he could figure out how to do it, it would most likely assuredly free them, but no one wanted to go back to that desolate world, not even for a second, now that they had Artemay back. What if the restore spell didn't work next time? Alex could take the trapped people through the tube to Haluki's house one at a time, and then walk back to Artemay from there, but that would be dangerous, most certainly arousing suspicion, and attracting unwanted attention in Quill. There was always a chance that Megan would find a spell, but Alex wasn't feeling it. He was doubtful a spell existed, as access to the secret hallway seemed as random as the color patterns of Mr. Today's robes. Alex could allow them to try to break through the wall, but their strongest Artemian, Simba and Florence, couldn't help with that. They'd go right through without it disturbing so much of a piece of dust. This was an option, but not a nice one. He couldn't really imagine what it would mean for the wall or for the secret hallway's secrets in the future. He closed his eyes and wished for the millionth time that Lonnie and Sam He were there to help him. Alex was so anxious to find them now that he had better means to do so, but he had to get everything under control here first before he could do anything else. He thought about Skye and smiled a little, knowing that she'd be reminded him to breathe right now. He took a deep breath and let it out, listening to the soothing voices of the men and women who were caring for Gunnar Haluki and Miss Morning. He wondered if there was any other way to get the trapped Artemans out of there. If only he had more time with Mr. Today. His face burned when he thought of the years of learning he should have had, but he'd been robbed of that, and Aaron was a thief. Alex opened his eyes when the young man he didn't know touched his arm and handed him a cup of cider. Thank you, Alex said. He drank it down. Nothing had tasted better in all his life. We're all grateful, Alex, the man said in a low voice. Things were rough, but Mr. Today clearly made the right choice with you. I'm sorry some folks lost hope. He turned and went on with his duties, leaving Alex to return to his problem-solving. After a while, Alex slipped through the mansion, checking on things, making sure nothing else was falling apart, and remarkably, everything was under control. Florence patrolled the dining hall while many of the Artemians sat and ate. It was good to hear their happy voices again. He caught Florence's eye, and they exchanged the steady, solemn gaze of comrades. It would take time for the creatures and statues to come to terms with the news. Alex nodded and lifted his hand to her. They would talk later. He walked around to the other side of the mansion to the classrooms, peeking into Miss Morning's flawlessly clean music studio, where he'd seen Megan so many times singing. A lump grew in his throat, and he vowed to do everything he could to get Megan's beautiful voice back. And then he stopped in the most familiar classroom of all, the one where he spent so much time working on his art. Chalks, paints, pencils, brushes, and all the wonderful spells that went with them. It was too bad he couldn't draw a way out of the secret hallway, he thought. And then he froze. His eyes opened wide, and he groaned as he slapped his forehead. That's it, he cried. He whirled around and ran through the mansion, looking in every room and every hall and every corner. And then he sped outside and turned this way and that, until finally he spied his beloved instructor at the shore. He sprinted to her. 
Miss Octavia, he said, breathless as he reached her, and then he stopped short. Her glasses were askew, eyes red. She'd been crying into the water as gentle waves licked her tentacles. And Alex remembered how Mr. Today had created her. She came from the sea, he said. Alex's heart surged, knowing what loss she was feeling. It's very hard, isn't it, he said. Indeed it is, the octagator said, drawing a dry tentacle across her snout to catch her tears. It feels like a bit of my soul has been torn away, like perhaps I couldn't even exist without him. Alex remained quiet. Nothing you could say was important enough to stand next to her words, for she, like all creatures and statues, had something from Mr. Today that he had did not, and that was life itself. Instead of trying to pretend that he knew how she felt, he peered over the waves and waited. After a time, Miss Octavia cleared her throat and inhaled a large, reverberating sniff. She turned to Alex. Now then, she said, not quite in her regular, stern voice, but almost. How can I help you, my dear boy? Alex regarded her with a solemn look, wondering if she were up to the task, but knowing it would take him days, even weeks, and they couldn't afford that kind of time. He had no choice but to ask. Miss Octavia, for reasons I don't have time to explain right now, there are an upward of 50 unwanteds trapped in Mr. Today's secret hallway, and they can't get out. How quickly can you make a 3D door? 27. Approaching Normal As it turned out, Miss Octavia had a stash of 3D doors in her classroom that she employed for various purposes throughout the years. She grabbed the theater door drawing, which she used fairly often to get Simba and Florence in and out of the theater for assemblies. She and Alex brought it upstairs to the secret hallway, where people were beginning to get anxious. Alex cleared a space, Miss Octavia unrolled a large drawing, and pasted it to the wall between the museum and the kitchenette. The door wavered and then pushed out from the wall, wooden slats, hinges, and all. Now then, Miss Octavia said, as she reached for the protruding handle and pulled open the enormous creaking door that led to Mr. Appleblossom's sanctuary. Head through the theater to the tubes and be on your way. The Artemians cheered and pressed forward through the door. In no time, the hallway was clear once again, except for Simber, Miss Octavia, and Alex. Miss Octavia swished over to peek into Mr. Today's office in the kitchenette. Is that everyone? Seems to be, Alex frowned. Wait, not quite. I almost forgot. I'll be right back. He rushed over to the Museum of Large, when the door was still open a crack. He went in and looked around, spying Megan sitting near the enormous restored pirate ship, surrounded by stacks of books. Alex walked over to her and looked at them. The book closest to him looked quite new, though some of its pages were wavy, as if they'd gotten wet. It was the strangest title he'd seen yet. Yodeling Groceries, 100 Awesome Slang Words for Vomit. Any luck? Alex leaned against the bow of the ship. It whispered unintelligibly as it had done in the past. Megan looked up and smiled sadly, then shook her head. Well, Alex said with a grin, the good news is, is that we found another way out. Come on. Megan's eyes lit up. Alex pulled her to her feet. Megan grabbed the vomit book, grinned, and showed Alex a page, making him laugh out loud for the first time in a long time. What are groceries anyway? he asked. Megan shrugged. Her shoulders shook with a silent laughter. She tucked the book inside her vest to read later. As they walked out of the museum, Alex grew serious again. So, um, do you want us to try to get that thing off your neck? I mean, if the medical people think it's safe to do? Megan looked at him. She nodded, and her mouth opened to say a silent yes. Her face was desperate. Even if there's a chance your voice never comes back? Megan hesitated, closing her eyes for a second and taking a deep breath. When she opened her eyes, she nodded again. You got it, Alex said. I promise we'll do everything we can to hear you sing again. Megan teared up and grabbed Alex's arm. Together, they left the museum, Alex sealing it magically once again. They moved down the hallway. I'll walk with Meg through the door, Alex said to his instructor, who waited patiently to take the door down and store it safely once again. 
Miss Octavia, who hadn't seen Megan since before Artemis disappeared, stared at the sight of the girl's necklace of thorns. Oh dear, she said, reaching out to give Megan a hug while looking vastly puzzled all the same. I can't begin to imagine the depths of heartache I missed. Alps gave her and Simbers a grim smile. I can't begin to tell you, he thought, but he didn't say it. Instead, he said, Now that everything seems to have settled, I'd like to meet with you two in Florence as soon as possible. He looked down at his clothes, still partially covered by Mr. Today's oversized robe. But I have a feeling I should probably clean up first, he said, realizing he must smell pretty bad by now. He looked from Miss Octavia to Simber. Mr. Today's office in an hour, then? The cat regarded the dirty, disheveled new leader of Artemis, who had grown considerably more confident and decisive in the time Simber had been at the bottom of the ocean. He tipped his head in solemn agreement. In our, he agreed. But it's your office now. At those words, Alex felt his lungs turn to ice. He closed his eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose, trying to comprehend it. When he looked up once more, he gave Simber and Miss Octavia a grim nod. He turned to Megan, who gave him a reassuring smile as they stepped through the door to the theater. After Miss Octavia had closed the door and pulled the 3D drawing from the wall, she rolled it up and tucked it under her appendage. She and Simber left to check on tasks below, while Charlie the gargoyle wandered into the secret hallway unnoticed. He tottered to the end of the pier into the office, then turned, crossing the hallway, and peeked into the kitchenette. A moment later, he retreated from there as well and went back down the hallway that had come, a puzzled look growing on his face. He stopped at the door of Mr. Today's private living quarters and pressed his ear against it, and then he knocked. When no one answered, Charlie turned around and sat down in front of the door, drew his knees close to his chest, tilted his head to lean against it, unmolding, and waited for his master to return. Twenty-eight. Alone. Lonnie kicked and wriggled until she was exhausted, but the large man carrying her only squeezed the breath out of her. She stopped fighting and started trying to focus her limited sight on where they were going, but she was soon totally turned around in a maze of tunnels, all lit by candle sconces attached to walls. Every now and then when the man walked close enough to the wall, Lonnie kicked out, hoping she was making a mark of some sort. Her sight wasn't quite good enough to tell at this point, but the low lighting certainly helped her to see a little bit better. After a ten-minute walk through the worn underground passageways, the man finally ducked into a room of elaborate decorations. At the far end was a low, round platform upon which a jeweled gold throne stood. Sitting on the throne was a stately woman with long, silver hair and thin, wrinkled lips. She wore a cloth band around her head, from which strings of tiny, sparkling stones fell around all her shoulders. She had a stern look on her face. The man carrying Lonnie flipped the girl to the ground, setting her on her feet. He pulled a chain from his pocket and clipped one end to her thorny necklace and locked it in place. The other end had a clasp, which he snapped into a thin wire above their heads, well out of Lonnie's reach. He locked that end as well. Lonnie squinted at the woman sitting on the throne. Her clothes were simple enough, light-colored linen, like the clothes worn by the other people Lonnie had seen before they put the painful acid in her eyes. But the one thing that was different about this woman was that she didn't wear a necklace of thorns like nearly everyone else. Still causing trouble, I see. Lonnie almost fell over. There was no other sound anywhere on this strange, creepy island, and she hadn't heard a single thing in weeks. It was almost with relief that she discovered she wasn't deaf. So it took her a few moments to recover enough to realize that the woman's voice seemed eerily familiar. Squinting even more as her eyes adjusted to the light, Lonnie took in the woman's features. Her erect stature, her long silver hair, her pale, wrinkled skin, and that voice. It gave Lonnie chills, and not the good kind. I wonder where you came from, the queen, or whoever she was, tapped her lips with her forefinger. Her fingernails were several inches long, and they curled around in various fascinating ways. Lonnie's eyes widened. Tusk! Shame you can't speak. 
You'll learn the sign language soon enough, and then we'll have a chat about your friend who got away. Guards, she called. Lonnie sucked in a gasp, but made no sound. Megan got away. As two more hulking men came out of nowhere to grab her by the elbows, she realized that a queen bore a striking resemblance to the woman Lonnie had destroyed, the high priest Justine. Back in the cave, Sam he'd lay still for a long time. When he awoke, he was alone and his hands were empty. He blinked a few times before he remembered what had happened. His head pounded and inked, and when he reached back to the source of his pain, his fingers came away sticky with blood. But he didn't care. He didn't care about the blood or about his aching head or about his sore body from being slammed to the ground. All he cared about was Lonnie, and Lonnie was gone. He covered his face. His hands felt so empty without hers. And for the first time in Sammy's life, he felt like giving up. He'd faced death twice before, but this abandonment felt worse somehow. Maybe it was because of the purge. He wasn't alone, and when his father tried to kill him during the battle, he wasn't alone then either, and he was able to use his anger to stand up against fear. As long as he had people on his side... He gathered strength and courage from them. But the people of this island had apparently found Samheat's ultimate weakness. He rolled to his side and curled up, hoping to become small enough to disappear. As he lay there, a very subtle change began to take place. It was so slight that he didn't notice at first, but after a time he blinked, and then he sat up. He craned his neck and squinted, and then he crawled on his hands and knees in a straight line and reached out. His fingers grasped the water bucket on the first try. Samheat could see. Twenty-nine. Empty Chairs and Empty Tables Alex took the theater tube directly to his room, avoiding the excited Artemians who roamed the hallways and staircase. He put his hand up to Shush Clive and went straight into his private quarters, drew up a steamy, soapy bath, and scrubbed and soaked in it. He even had to drain it once and refill it because he was so dirty after weeks of not showering at all. You should burn those clothes. They're practically rancid, he heard Clive point out from the other room. Shove a sock in it, Clive, Alex called back before sinking deep into the fresh water, such only that his nose and his mouth remained above it. His body ached terribly, and he was exhausted. Now that he had a full moments alone, he never wanted to go back out there again, but he had so much more things to do before it got back to normal. As he soaked, he made a mental list. 1. Get the thorn necklace off of Megan. 2. See if Sky and Crow want theirs off too. 3. Figure out how to find Lonnie and Sam Heed. 4. Find them. 5. Rescue them. 6. Sleep. 7. Do something about the... He drifted off. Half an hour later, he jerked awake. The water was cold. You'd think there'd be a spell to keep bath water warm, he grumbled. After another ten minutes, his hair was combed, his body was clean, his clothes were fresh, and he felt like a new mage. He smiled at Clive as he headed for the door, and then he stopped and turned. Do you, uh, know what happened? He asked the blackboard. Clive's eyes started around the room. When? Where? What? Alex sighed and added a minute to his mental list. Never mind. Come on, tell me. I won't tell anybody. I don't even know anybody. Alex flashed a grin smile. Not yet. I don't have time. Soon. He opened the door and slipped out. He's made his way out to the boys' hallway and into the not very secret anymore, but still mostly hidden hallway. It was quiet there. Alex walked toward Mr. Today's office, his footsteps echoing, and then he stopped in front of Mr. Today's private quarters. Charlie, he exclaimed. The gargoyle approached and began speaking with hand signals. I don't understand, Alex said. I, there's a book somewhere, I'm sure. Charlie pointed to Mr. Today's door and then lifted his shoulders in question. Oh no, Alex muttered, his heart sinking. Is it ever going to end? Come on, he said, let's go in here. I'm going to explain everything. 
Charlie lopped alongside Alex, snapping his finger and thumbs. Alex had avoided the office so far, but now he took a few tentative steps inside. It was painful going in and seeing all of Mr. Today's things. He glanced at the wall behind him, and there, as always, were the crazy, stupid dot pictures that were the answer to the riddle that had driven him nuts for the past month. If only he'd been more observant, he might have figured out the clue much faster. Alex took off Mr. Today's robe and hung it next to a spare one on the rack in the corner. He ran his fingers along the fabric and let the sleeve drop, and then he turned away. The blackboards were in order as usual. Alex had no idea how they worked, or how anything worked, really. He had a lot of books to read for sure, and hopefully, once Miss Morning was feeling better, she'd be able to help. Alex looked at Mr. Today's chair. He sat in it once before or twice, during his nightly visits alone with Sam. But now, it seemed too big to fill. Instead, he sat in the armchair on the other side of the desk, which was his usual spot. It felt more comfortable now. One by one, the others trickled in, Florence, Octavia, and Simber, and they sat down in their usual spots as well. Claire Morning's chair remained empty, and so did Mr. Today's. After a few moments, no one said a word, and during those minutes, Alphs finally accepted the truth. That from this point forward, he would lead the meetings. He would be the caretaker of Artime. He would have to protect, provide for, and serve the people here. He would be in charge of everything, and he would be responsible. He would make the decisions that could save lives or cost lives. It was he who would take on the wheel and keep Artime going in the same direction, or change it. He, young Alexander Stowe, unwanted, was the new mage of Artime, like it or not. There was no time to look back, only to move forward to the dots on the horizon and steer for them. Thirty, life on Warbler Island. When the next breeze came, Sam had opened his eyes and sat up, hoping it was Lonnie. He peered around the dimly lit cave, and his newly seeing eyes alighted on a hulk of a man. Sam had stared at him and swallowed hard, trying not to react. But the man was staring at Sam Heed as well, as if he expected the boy could see. The man's orange eyes glowed faintly, and he took three or four rapid steps toward the boy. Sam Heed couldn't help it. He cowered and drew back. The man gave a sinister smile, reached out as Sam Heed scrambled to get away, and scooped up the boy with little effort. Sam Heed fought, but not as hard as he could. There was really nothing to fight for. He didn't want to stay in this cave alone. He'd rather die than be stuck there forever. So after a time, he stopped struggling, and just watched as the man opened the secret door and took him through a maze of tunnels. Thorn-necked, orange-eyed people walked about, a few of them chained to the wire above Sam Heed's head, but most roamed independently. Some of them carried things like buckets of gold coins, baskets of bread, or armloads of clothing or firewood. Others walked with purpose, as if they were hurried to get somewhere. He saw one woman with scars around her neck, but no thorns. Sam Heed took in everything he could, trying to understand who anyone would go through to get the process of the thorns, and the eye colorization who would not try to run away. He didn't understand it. Then again, he'd been a big supporter of Quill, even after he'd been purged, for a short time anyway. He wondered what kind of lies this island's ruler was telling these people to make them want to stay here. After a few minutes, the man turned to the cave, where a woman sat on a throne watching them. The man set Sam Heed down and hooked a wire around the boy's thorny necklace. He locked it with a tiny key and then connected the other into the wire about their heads and did the same. Well, 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 the woman's voice boomed like a cannon in the silence, startling Sam Heed. Your healing period has ended. Time to put a strong young person like you to work. Sammy'd stared. He tried to respond, thinking maybe if the woman could speak, he might be able to as well. But no sound came out. He wanted to know where Lonnie was, and if she was okay. The stately woman narrowed her eyes. There's a reason we don't allow you to speak, you know. I trust you're smart enough to figure out why, eventually. She rose from the throne to her full height. Follow your orders and you'll be treated fairly. If you don't, it's back to the dark cave. Simple enough. 
She descended from the throne's platform with languid strides and walked in a slow circle around Samhead. He stared straight ahead, some of the old anger beginning to stir inside him once again, but he'd followed the rules for now. Oh, your friend, the woman said, drawing a ridiculously long curled fingernail across her lips so that it was almost disguised as a cold smile. I nearly forgot. She's fitting in just fine in the woman's compound. Very obedient now, that one. I'm sure you, dear boy, will do just as well in the men's compound. She stopped circling, and when she reached the throne platform, she, and once again, she held Samhead's gaze. If you wish to see her again, that is. Samhead's face betrayed him. He turned away, glaring at the floor as his stomach clenched for Lonnie. Did this mean he wouldn't see her? How long would they be separated? In this absence of Lonnie's cool fingers entwined in his, he folded his hands together in front of him and sucked in a deep breath, letting it out slowly. He knew what this woman was saying. Obey or else. It was exactly like Quill here, only there were no walls. Instead, the safety came from living underground. Is every island in the world like this? He wondered. The brute led Sammy to the men's compound. He pointed to the wire along the ceiling that Sam was connected to. It was purple. There was another wire next to it that was green. Both wires had elaborate roundabout intersections every 20 feet or so, which would allow the two people on the same wire to pass each other. After walking for a few minutes, they came to a circular cavern with hallways branching off in multiple directions. The purple and green lines split up. Sammy peered down the green hallways to see if there was any sign of Lonnie, but there was no long black hair to be seen anywhere. The man pointed to the hallway that he wanted Sam Heed to take, and they walked down it to a large room filled with cots and neat rows. The man brought him to an empty cot that had a book lying on top of it, titled Handbook for Vagabonds. Sam Heed sat down on the bed. He picked up the book and looked at the man. The man nodded, and then he turned and left. Sam Heed opened the book and read the first page. Welcome, wanderer, and congratulations. By setting foot on our shores, you have become the sole property of the Warbler Island in Queen Igala. As you have likely discovered in your travels, there is no way to leave the sea that surrounds Warbler and the other six islands contained within. We wish to inform you that Warbler has a growing fleet of ships. Escapees will be hunted and killed. Your orange eyes will forevermore be proof that you are branded property of Warbler. Your golden thorns there are for your protection and the protection of Warbler. As travelers land on our shores, they are removed of the burden of speech in favor of a simple, quiet life of quality without distraction. Indeed, a spell of silence has been cast over the entire island, quieting all incidental sounds except for human voices, allowing warblarians to work in the most optimal conditions. As a possibly unwilling newcomer, you will learn to appreciate that we've removed the temptation to speak ill of your warbler or of its leader to anyone passing by our shores. It was a necessary move to keep warblers strong and loyal after the recent revolt. Sam Heed's mouth hung open. This place is nuts, he thought. He looked back at the opening paragraph, which contained a line that was news to him. As you've likely discovered in your travels, there is no way to leave the sea that surrounds Warbler and the other six islands contained within. Sam had never thought about traveling beyond the seven islands. Until recently, he never thought that there could be more than one island, and that was Quill. But now, thanks to Artemis and Mr. Today, he knew how to think, how to use his imagination. Obviously, based on this book, someone must have tried going beyond the other islands. But what did it mean? There's no way to leave? How would anyone know that there was another place to go? And if there was no way to leave, did that also mean there was no way to enter? And if so, how did everyone get here in the first place? It was extremely puzzling. Plus, there was magic here, a spell of silence, which explained why nothing made a sound except Queen Agala's voice. Sammy thought he'd lost his hearing, but he'd always equated magic with good places. This was no good place, and that was for sure. He turned the page. Warbler uses a simple system of sign language created by Queen Agala. 
you will be taught a small vocabulary of signs that pertain to your personal needs and the work to which you are assigned. You will find a loose piece of paper on the side of this booklet instructing you about your job, hours, requirements, and behavior expectations. Sammy turned the page and a slip of paper fluttered to the floor. He picked it up and read, Shipbuilder, report immediately to shipbuilding. Hours are sun up to sundown with one break at midday. You are not allowed to touch any tools unless you have been assessed. Sun up to sundown? How was anybody supposed to know when the sun was up or down here in this warren of caves? Sam he'd sighed. He looked at the bottom of the note, where there was a makeshift map guiding him to the shipbuilding area. After a courtesy glance round his new living quarters, Sam he'd stood up. He tugged at the thin chain that connected his sore necklace to the wire above. It was locked, stuck fast. Finally, he started walking, carrying the note with the map, weaving his way through the tunnels, straining his eyes for a glimpse of Lonnie and hoping she was okay. When he neared the end of the directions, he squinted. Afternoon sunlight poured in through a hole above his head. He hadn't seen sunlight in weeks. As he stood there at the base of the stone-carved ladder, basking in the warmth of the sun, taking a moment to enjoy it before starting his new job, a bright ball of fire whizzed past his ear and flew up through the hole, leaving a faint trail of light skating down the passageway behind it.